welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Monsters. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. And in today's episode, I want to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This movie was directed by Toby Hooper in 1974, and it's become a cult classic of the horror and, what would you say, slasher genre? Yeah, it's pre-slasher. One could argue that it's probably one of the first slasher films, really, when you stop and think about it. Even though it doesn't have the extreme gore you would think that it would but it doesn't. Before we get into that, I just wanted to mention that this is still part of our Spider Baby Deranged Family uh, mini-series that we're doing. Unlike the previous movie we did in the previous episode on Freaks, where we were both saying that the Sideshow family of Freaks weren't really deranged or dysfunctional, it was really the people who didn't have the conditions who are the ones who are actually deranged. But there can be no doubt that in this movie, this is definitely the epitome of a deranged family. Yeah, this is like all the stereotypes and it's funny because it doesn't have many of like, you know, the staples of slasher movies, but it just has like all the main characters getting like picked off one at a time, you know, until they're down to one. Yeah, you know, it's really unique. It's a, It has that whole fear of like the open road and the fear of going off the trail because it's like, oh, you never know what you might find out there, you know? Yeah, mythology wise, I guess it would qualify as like a don't go in the forest mythology. Yeah. Like a, a folklore, you know, because these are all, you know, well-known themes in storytelling that keep on getting repeated over and over, but then they just get updated to fit the technology of the times. And so, yeah, this movie, you know, once again, even though it can be considered an early slasher film, it doesn't really have explicit gore. It was banned in many countries, and I think it was banned more because of the title and the concept, you know, the concept, the idea that somebody would be cut into pieces via a chainsaw. Uh, when, you know, when you see that in the title, you automatically think, oh my goodness, you know, if you're at all squeamish, you're you're not going to want to see this film. And so I think it was sort of banned more on that. Even though this film really is intense and it does have some really, like, really effective, scary scenes in it, it just doesn't have the gore, like the blood and guts. Even though it doesn't have, like, you don't see a bunch of people getting, like, butchered or anything like that. It's just, like, the visuals... I could see how people, especially back then, would get, like, upset watching it because it's just so stark looking. You know, they really show the grossness of this area, like, the house they're in. Yeah, how far this family has fallen. It's not, like, the blood that makes it get under your skin. I think it's more, like, the condition that they're living in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of foreshadowing what happens to the American economy by the late 70s and going into the 80s with the outsourcing of jobs. In this case, it's not so much the outsourcing of jobs. It's more because of technology. One could say it's more like the artisan class being replaced by industrialization because this deranged family is a family who used to work at the slaughterhouse and they relied on the old tried and true method of just clubbing a... Like a steer a, a or something? A steer, yeah, a steer. <laughs> over the head with a huge mallet and you'd kill it that way. And that method was phased out in favor of the, what is it? It just shoots like a, uh -huh. a bolt. It uses a compressor and the compressor shoots a bolt into the head of the steer and that's how it's killed. It's killed instantly, so it's pretty humane and it's much more efficient. It's the same weapon that the guy in No Country for Old Men was carrying around at the beginning of the movie when he's killing people. But anyway, this family, you know, obviously it affected them financially. And so the film does show sort of a depressing countryside. You're in a very rural area in, in Texas and these are very poor people and they've become very desperate. 
And of course, we have no sympathy for them because they're psychopaths and they're cannibals. <laughs> yeah. you know? So we don't we don't feel sorry for them. <laughs> but there is this hint uh, Toby Hooper puts in the movie to sort of say, hey, this is the decline of what once was a great economy in the United States in the 1950s has now sort of, you know, starting to reach low points. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's like, even though you don't really have sympathy for the family, I think it makes you wonder, like, okay, if they didn't lose their jobs, would they be like this, you know? Would they still be this, like, messed up, you know? Probably not, I would say. I mean, they were probably one of those families that was, <laughs> you know, bullies, that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that they would have turned into cannibals. I mean, the grandfather, grandpa, who's, you know, just basically a withered, almost dead Person. He's kind of like a corpse already, like a, yeah. like a living corpse. But supposedly the story is at one time he was the best at killing steers. He would just like, it was like one whack, you yeah. know, and the thing would go down. Like you said, he had the art down, you know. <laughs> yeah. And this, you know, when I say the artisan class, what I mean by that is it's the skilled workers who, you know, learned a trade and passed it down from generation to generation. And people relied on these skilled workers for all sorts of things. And eventually, you know, the modern industrialization wound up replacing almost all of the artisans. The artisan class is pretty much extinct now. I mean, you see it every now and then, little things, craftsmen and stuff like that. But Yeah, but nowadays people just buy it just for, just to be like, oh, look, I'm, I got this handmade thing. It's not like a big industry, you know? Right. Anyway, getting back to the movie... So the other thing about this movie that's interesting is that it also foreshadows a little bit. What's going to wind up becoming really popular in the 80s is that we're not always rooting for the heroes or the, you know, the teenagers or whoever it is is wind up getting killed. There's always like one teenager that we root for because that teenager is different from the others. That teenager has empathy and has their shit together. But then the other teenagers are just, you know, they just want to party and they don't care and they're very one-dimensional. <laughs> and when they get picked off one by one by whoever serial killer it is in the movie, everyone claps, you know, and they think it's funny. Uh, this movie sort of has a little foreshadowing of that in the character of Franklin. Now, Franklin is Yeah, a, poor Franklin. <laughs> yeah, he's in a wheelchair. He's a paraplegic. You know, he's kind of whiny. As the movie starts off, you, you know, obviously you kind of feel sorry for the guy because he's in a wheelchair and he's relying very heavily on his sister. But as the movie goes on, he really does kind of bug you. Like he really does start to get under your skin. Well, you know? he just complains nonstop. And then the other kids, they don't really make it better because they're not really cool to him back either. Like it's like a both ways like <laughs> annoyance because I remember there's this one part where like everyone goes up the stairs and they like leave him at the door or something and then he's making these annoying sounds. I kind of feel sorry for his sister. I mean, his sister is with them. I mean, that's the setup. It's a brother and sister and she's with her boyfriend and she's trying to give some quality time to her boyfriend, pay attention to him, but not completely abandon her brother. She knows she, you know, she's responsible for him to a certain degree and she wants to help him. So she's trying to do the right thing and she's trying to go back and forth between the two of them. And even the boyfriend seems, you know, he seems pretty cool. Like he seems pretty pretty patient with the whole thing and he's not he's not a jerk about it you know they could have mistreated franklin a lot more than they did franklin you know he does via his whining you know towards right before he's killed you are kind of ready at that point like, yeah like take this kid out like i'm, I'm ready i'm ready i'm ready because by then i think every other kid in the group has been killed except for the one girl who survives the dude uh that gets hit in the head with the mallet. He's like the first one to go. Yeah, yeah. That's the classic scene. And that is a very disturbing scene. Like I said, this movie doesn't have gore. Because I think the budget was pretty low. I, I remember the 
seeing a documentary or something and they're saying how they just didn't have the money. They didn't have money to do a convincing scene where they could show someone getting chopped up into pieces yeah. with a chainsaw. But they could sort of reenact the hitting over the head scene. And that, to me, that's that's still pretty gruesome. Yeah, and it, make, it like, it's just not something you normally see because he's like convulsing on the floor, which is like... Which is good acting. Yeah, and it, I th it's just a more unique idea. I don't know. I feel like that's something that would happen, but you don't see it a lot in movies, you know? Right. No, I mean, but they set it up perfectly because they mentioned the fact that that's how the steers were killed. And so you already have that in mind. And uh, and yeah, it's just a good script. You know, it's a good yeah. story and it's executed well. The acting's good. And yeah, it's a very disturbing scene because you see Leatherface for the first time and there's this huge metal door that he like swings open and then he slams it shut. It's a great <laughs> camera angle. The scene is just set up so perfectly. Then his girlfriend, she goes inside and she starts seeing all the disturbing things in the house, which are really just bones and feathers. Yeah, like chicken like room. <laughs> yeah. And um, and she starts getting creeped out. And so she tries to run out. And then Leatherface chases her and grabs her on the porch and like drags her back in. Yeah. That's another really classic scene. So right there, you've lost two of the five. And then the boyfriend uh, of the girl whose brother is Franklin, I remember his name. Her boyfriend goes to explore. And, and of course, he has to take the keys with him. So now you know they're <laughs> stranded. And he winds up getting killed. Okay, well, there's one scene where the girl's on the meat hook and then... Their guy, the guy's like on the table, right? And Leatherface is like supposed to be chopping him up with the chainsaw. But right. I heard supposedly that, yeah, like you said, because it's it was so low budget, they uh, I think they said they took the chain off the chainsaw or something, but they just had like they actually put the saw like right next to his head because they were just like, okay, just like make it as close as you can, but like you know, because right. <laughs> we'll shoot it from an angle where it looks like you're chopping him up. You right, know? <laughs> right, right, and and that's it's all suggestive. Yeah, but it works, you know. Uh, yeah, so then you're down to the last two, the brother and the sister, and like I said, this is where Franklin is really getting very whiny. They're actually in the trees and the bushes somewhere, and they're trying to get to the house, and she's pushing him in the wheel. I really feel sorry for her. She's pushing him in this wheelchair, and there's like it's not a paved ground. Oh, yeah, they're going through like grass. And yeah, stuff. She, <laughs> and she's he's complaining, and then the Leatherface just shows up and just sticks the chainsaw on his chest. I think that's the only scene where you actually see a chainsaw cause an injury, mm -hmm. but it's in the dark. It's not filmed very well. It happens very quickly. You can't really see any detail. And I think that's the way they wanted it, to be honest. Yeah. And then she takes off. And then from that point on, you know, it's a, you just, you're watching it because you just like, okay, is she going to die or not? You know, yeah. because then, you know, Literally, the cat's out of the bag at that point. <laughs> She's the cat, you know. And, uh, and yeah, it, it just, there's a lot of really sick things that happen after that. You know, yeah. it's almost like... Then she's in their den, you know? Yeah. She's full view to their derangement. Yeah, I mean, she they could have <laughs> killed her anytime they wanted, but they're just toying with her. Yeah. You know? And I guess in that case, now she's the mouse and they're the cat. But anyway, uh, they, they decide that they're going to go get Grandpa and they want to give him one last moment where he can feel good about himself and they put the mallet in his hand. Yeah, they're like, oh, for old times, And, grandpa, and what's so creepy know? is they put her, they set it up as if he's really going to be able to like bash her head in. Yeah. So they put like the, the bucket Oh, in front like, of her. <laughs> underneath her head, thinking that, like, when he bashes her, like, you know, all this blood is going to come gushing out. And, of course, the guy's, like, he can't even hold the hammer. Yeah. You know, he doesn't even have enough strength to hold a hammer. And uh, it's, like, really pathetic. 
Yeah. And people have interpreted this in lots of different ways and metaphors for sex and stuff. What? You know, like he's, <laughs> I haven't he's heard a, that. young girl and the old man's impotent and all that. So it's like, okay, whatever. But let's just enjoy it on a level of horror. Yeah. You know? I mean, we could do deep analysis and that. Maybe we'll do some <laughs> episodes in the future where we, maybe we'll do The Shining. Mm, you know, yeah, that, that's Shining. one that gets ripped apart all the time and is analyzed 40 million different levels. Yeah. Of, if you watch The Shining muted, I feel like you notice a lot more motifs. I did it, Elise. That was interesting. Yeah. But in this movie, I just want to enjoy it more on the surface, you know. Yeah. And so they could have killed her right there, but they didn't. And she winds up getting away again. Yeah, and it's like I, a big chase. Yeah, and I just feel like, you know, I mean, there's that scene where they're laughing at her. That's one of the most disturbing scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with gore or anything. It's just, it literally just goes back to that childhood fear you know, like your first day at school and everyone's laughing at you. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't have any friends yet and you're just like, you know, you, you don't have any allies. And you're just wondering, like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. You know, like, because we're such social creatures. And when, when everyone is literally just laughing at you, making fun of you, it can really, like, hurt you psychologically. Some yeah. people never recover from that. <laughs> the part where she's, like, they're captive and they're all around the dinner table. It goes back to that whole thing of, like, America being on a downswing because the whole thing with them in this dinner scene is that they want to be, like, that, you know, that leave it to beaver, like, all-American family where it's just, like, we got mom and dad and the kid, you know, and everything. But it's, like, they're not. They're completely different. And then that's the scene where Leatherface is dressed up like a lady because he's playing, like, the mom role part of the message of the scene is that they're trying to be like this classic American family, but they're actually like this grotesque like caricature of it, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, from the standpoint of you have a dinner scene and there needs to be one character that sort of looks like the mom if you just sort of squint your eyes kind of thing. I think what's really going on is he's wearing Franklin's face. Mm -hmm. Franklin had, you know, the kind of curly hair that, yeah, if you... I'm just saying that's the interpretation of the scene. That I've heard. I do believe that Toby Hooper probably did that, you know, just as, as a joke, you know, <laughs> like a leave it to beaver, like what you said. Uh -huh. So she winds up getting away and then it's just a matter of, is she going to live? You know, is, are they going to catch her? And I think that this is another really good aspect of this film because this is 1974. This is five years before Alien comes out when Sigourney Weaver, you know, winds up being like really one of the first full on female heroes, you know, where yeah, she, action hero, she doesn't sure. need to be saved by anyone. If anything, <laughs> she would save people. Yeah, uh, she doesn't in the movie because she just doesn't. But she saves herself and she winds up prevailing over the alien. Well, the same thing happens in this movie where the girl who survives, she winds up saving herself. Now, at the end of the movie, she's kind of batshit crazy by then. She's pretty much lost it. At least she's alive. But she survived. <laughs> I mean, she, she didn't give up. You know, she kept on fighting and every opportunity she could get away, she tried to get away. She jumps out of a window on the second story yeah. and probably like fractures her leg or, or, you know, messes her leg up. She can barely run, but she still is like, no, I got to run because these guys are going to kill me. And there's this great scene where, you know, there's the hitchhiker. We didn't really talk about the hitchhiker. Yeah, much. we got to give the little brother some attention, man. Yeah. He's the hitchhiker, super cool. <laughs> he appears that he's sort of like a kind of a hippie and he's a hitchhiker and they pick him up at the beginning of the movie and he just does weird things in the car when he's driving with them. Yeah, he's their warning that they shouldn't go there, but of yeah. course they do. You know, sometimes a movie like this where you would think that there's has nothing to do with witchcraft, has nothing to do with fate or any of those 
elements. There is this scene where, I mean, it's really cool that Toby Hooper put this in there where this hitchhiker takes a picture of Franklin with his Polaroid. So now he has a part of Franklin's soul like captured. And then he yeah. tries to sell it back to them for yeah. two bucks or something, <laughs> five bucks. And they was like, no, like that's stupid. Like we didn't, you know, I didn't ask you to take a picture. Then he takes Franklin's pocket knife and he cuts his own hand. Yeah. The hitchhiker. Now he's bleeding. Then he winds up cutting Franklin. Yeah, he and has his blood and his image so, now. And then he burns the, the photo in the car. Oh, yeah, in, I in forgot about that. That is so, very witchcraft-like. Yeah, so he basically performs a spell right there in front of our eyes. Yeah. And it's done in such a way where you don't see it as a spell. You just see it as a crazy guy doing weird things. But if, if, you, if that had been like a movie where we know to expect witchcraft and we're looking for it, and then that's just how one of the spells is performed, we would say, oh, that's a spell. Yeah, but, and then at the end with a kick him out of the van he is like it's like he's putting a curse on them right because he like kicks the car and chases them yeah, you know he, he even smears <laughs> his blood on their window yeah. on the windshield or something <laughs> or the, the back window or whatever so yeah there, there's that element i think that's really uh very effective yeah you know? now he winds up getting killed at the end of the movie because when they're chasing the girl he and and leatherface are chasing her and a semi truck plows into him because <laughs> they run onto the highway and this Truck just plows over him. So yeah, poor little brother. <laughs> very satisfying, actually, you know, because at that point you definitely are rooting for the girl to, to get away. Yeah. I just love the closing scene where uh, Leatherface is so frustrated that she got away because uh, she she winds up hopping in the back of a pickup truck. At that point, you can tell she's insane. Yeah. She's just laughing. But he's so pissed off and he does that dance with the chainsaw. It, that <laughs> yeah. is such a great scene. Once again, it's just filmed so well because it's Dawn. You know, like she survived the whole night. Oh yeah, that's another and, kind of like right. witchcraft slash vampire thing. It's right. like if you can make it to sunrise. Or even just spending the night in a haunted house. Yeah, and, and then you're in the clear if you right. if you make it to sun up. And she did. She made it to Dawn. <laughs> and so the sun's coming up and you see Leatherface in the middle of the middle of the highway. Well, it's, you know, it's a two-lane highway. But uh, he's doing this ritual where he's just swinging the this ritual movement. He's it's like he's mad, but it's it's like a dance. Yeah, you know? and he's just pissed off and he's swinging the chainsaw. Then it just ends. You know. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a brilliant film. I mean, it was influenced and inspired by the murders of Ed Gein, the guy from Wisconsin who uh, also uh, Psycho was also influenced by yeah. his murders. Well, yeah. he wasn't like a huge killer, but I th he dug up a lot of dead bodies. That's yeah. my understanding. Yeah, he liked to dig up bodies and do weird things with them, but he was eventually. Caught. There was one of his victims was strung upside down, and he was in the process of mutilating the, the body, and uh, it was pretty morbid stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, making, uh, he was the one who, I think that's where they got the idea for Leatherface. Yeah, and Silence of the Lambs and all that stuff. Right, right. Because he would skin his victims, and then he would wear their skins. Yeah, he had a lampshade made out of human skin, and then he had... Like a vest and a belt and some other clothes, I think. Right. And so at the beginning of the movie, that was one thing I mentioned, I think, a couple episodes ago. These slasher films from the 70s, we didn't even use the term slasher film. They were just horror films. I use the term docudrama because they all sort of try to present themselves as if it's a true story. And in Toby Hooper's case, he even tries to present it as if like, well, maybe this is the documentary film, almost like a Blair Witch kind of thing. Like yeah, way it's, ahead a, of it's, it's the time. forerunner to found footage. Yeah, exactly. It's the found footage and it even starts off by with some sort of, right? Doesn't it say something? Yeah, the, the very first thing is text coming up, like kind of like in Star Wars, but you know, it's more serious. And it's like, 
this is based on the accounts of such and such, you know. Yeah. It has something like that. Yeah, it's very Dragnet the way it sort of starts off. Dragnet. (laughs) It's like very serious, like, okay, what you're watching like really did happen. Yeah. Of course it didn't. It's all fiction, but. Yeah, and Paranormal Activity took the exact same format. And did their, the first movie like that, too. Right. So it just lets you know how many copycats there have been over the years, especially since 1974. Yeah. Anyway, this has been our take on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're going to do a couple more of these uh, deranged family episodes to sort of finish off our promise on having been part of the lineage of Spider Baby. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to take off. So we'll be back somewhere at the beginning of September. For with season a, two. <laughs> for season two with another, with a finish off this deranged family series. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.